wouldn't go in there for 20 minutes. <laughs> now, which one of you is Vanessa? That's me. Ah, oh, Nessie. Did you know that fortune cookies aren't even Chinese? There's some guy over here. They're made by Americans based on a, based on a Japanese recipe. Hey. Bloody hell, bloody hell. Iron Man, Iron Man, Iron Man rocks. Iron Man thing and Iron Man sing. Making up lyrics to Iron Man 3. It's the weirdest thing that ever be. Uh, Iron Man 3. It's a Christmas movie. Is any of this working, Kevin? Is any of this <laughs> happening for you? Probably not. We probably got lazy in the edit. But anyway, everything's super, eh? On post-show recaps, it's phase two of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it's Christmas in Iron Man 3. As we're closing out the Iron Man trilogy, the first trilogy to, to close out here in uh, our, our, our stomping through the MCU as we are resuming that journey here on the Everything is Super podcast, spoiler-filled rewatch of the MCU. I'm Josh Wiggler. Uh, who embarrassingly is singing Christmas carols on this podcast. I'm joined here by the great Kevin Mahadeo. Kevin, uh, what do you think? Um, Just am generally. I the Grinch, if we're doing Christmas? Because I don't want to be. I don't want to be the Grinch. I like Christmas. Christmas you is You do fun. like Christmas. It's so strange that you like Christmas. I, feel I do. Like, I feel like you liking Christmas does not line up with almost every other fact about you. <laughs> That's very true. Um you're like, know, you're like very cynical. You, you're probably convinced that the world is going to end any minute now. Let's not like get too heavy and serious about it. But like, <laughs> I think that's like kind of true. So what is it just like? Is it like your belief that there's still going to be a Christmas miracle somewhere out there? I mean, I, I think to an extent, right? Like, I, I grew up on, like, Muppet Christmas you Carol, believe. which is all about, like, Christmas is about hope and happiness, and there's something great that happens there. Yeah. So Christmas <laughs> is something that even me, the cynical man, has to Ebenezer Scrooge his way through life and be like, <laughs> you know what, though? There's something good out there. <laughs> Ebenezer Stark. By the way, when we put it out into the universe uh, a few weeks ago of which one of us is Kermit and which one is Fozzie, I forget who responded, but someone on Twitter said, you both Fozzie, which I <laughs> <laughs> which I appreciated, which I thought was great. All right, well let's let's not dilly dally. We're getting this podcast out a little bit late. Sorry, scheduling uh, it's tough these days. Uh, we've got this podcast coming your way. It is our official foray in to Phase Two of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We're starting here with Iron Man 3. We'll be at Thor of the Dark World next week. Uh, you can get your feedback in for that show by emailing super at postshowrecaps.com. We'll catch that feedback, uh, and we will make sure to incorporate it into our Thor conversation. We also have tons of feedback for the Iron Man 3 podcast as well, so we'll be getting into all of that. And Kevin... Um, I think that this is this is exciting for me because it's phase two. Uh, the last time we spoke on everything is super. It was for uh, Survivor Earth's Mightiest Heroes versus Villains, and we won't spoil the outcome of that Survivor simulation for anyone who chose not to listen. Is still holding on to it, wants to go back to it at some point. But I'll say that at the end of that conversation, you and I kind of started looking ahead towards phase two and how this is maybe like the lesser phase of the three phases of the MCU. At least like that is sort of like popular consensus. This is the one that has 
the the worst of the Avengers movies? Does that mean it's a bad Avengers movie? We'll analyze that. This is the one that has the worst Thor movie. That feels like a slam dunk. Sure, it's got the best Captain America movie. At least many people think so. Sure, it's got Guardians of the Galaxy, which many people would argue is just a top five Marvel movie full stop. But then it's got Iron Man 3, and it's how it starts. And I know that your opinion on the matter uh, is different from a lot of like the public consensus on the matter or what it seems to be. But people seem to be just like, Iron Man 3? Yeah, none of that for me, please. Um, and is there like a feeling of that and the feeling around Dark World that is like being applied to Phase 2? I don't know. That's a lot of word soup for you to to digest, Kevin. But I'd like to see you give the uh, digestion a try. If there's one thing I'm pretty good at is digesting things, um, as <laughs> I am a wonderful eater. But um, no, I voracious, think, voracious eater. Um, I think that you definitely hit something on the head that like a lot of people definitely look down on on this phase, and I think. Part of it is the Iron Man 3 is very divisive. Thor 2 is not great. Iron, or Ant-Man is sort of whatever. Um, and Age of Ultron is also the, divisive. I think there's a lot of that. And everything is kind of carried on the back of uh, Captain America and Guardians, um, which is they're able to carry it decently well because those are two of the highly like ranked for a lot of people in the top five, definitely top ten of films. So I think... That's the issue, right? There's only those two, but those two are pretty strong. That said, it's it's a it's a phase of divisive films. I feel like this is the best way to put it. Because as much as we also really dislike Thor: The Dark World, and or I guess we do, we'll find out next week. We'll find out. Yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah, I think there's I think a lot I of don't people. Like it. Yeah, there's people who are d- defending that movie, you know. And I think there's a lot of that here. I also think this is interesting because you can correct me if, if I'm wrong here, but I think this is also the Disney moment. This is the this Iron Man three is the first movie that hit after the Disney purchase and Disney merger um, with Marvel Studios. And I know there was a lot of blowback. And I remember a lot of comments that I strongly disagreed with about this movie and how Disney affected it. And I don't think that was the case um, for certain parts of it. Um, and so we, there's a lot on it. I mean, honestly, what do you for, mean? For, for like happened. people think that this was like, uh, that they like made it a Christmas movie because it was Disney. No, I remember, like, I distinctly remember people saying, like, oh, they just did that kid stuff because of Disney. And I'm like, you oh, think yeah. Disney kicked open the door and was just like, listen here, we need a scene with a child. <laughs> like, yeah. that's how Mickey talks when he's not in front of the camera. Yeah, uh, no, like, Mickey's a real dick. I think everybody uh, has Yeah, I, I just feel like that is not what happened. And people had that mentality, I think, for sure. And, like, the stuff with the Mandarin. No, people. they had the kid in here because they knew uh, in the long run that they were going to kill off Iron Man in Avengers Endgame, and they had to introduce the kid so that they would have, like, the really poignant scene of him um at the at the at the graveside uh at the at the cabin at the end uh, i knew it was that kid immediately i mean come on if you guys pay attention to the films i was immediately like that's the iron man 3 kid Um, he's all grown up though he's all grown up yeah yeah he is grown up like spider-man did apparently Uh, (laughs) i'm never gonna not bring that up uh but i just yeah got a whole phase with adam kevin (laughs) it's it's this movie is interesting and i'm excited to dive into it honestly because like i did Love this movie when it first came out. And I don't not love this movie. I still really like this movie. I think I'm not as high on it as I maybe was the first time because a lot of this movie is also hingent on like reveals and things happening and, you know, being surprised the first time around. Um, but there's a lot to me that I really like. I also think I'm heavily influenced by the fact that I love Shane Black's movies style 
and comedy. So that was something I feel like maybe a lot of people didn't like is like if you don't like Shane Black's work, maybe you, it just won't hit with you. Um, yeah. So it was it was interesting, though. I mean, I'm curious what your take was, because I know Iron Man three was not as high for you as it is for me. Yeah, well, in terms of like the the rankings that I have done in the past, uh, I have had Iron Man three relatively low. Uh, I have had Iron Man three of the twenty three MCU films released so far. I've had it at eighteen, just like in like that random ranking I did at the bar that I talk about uh, every once in a while here on the podcast. And Kevin, I gotta say, in in rewatching the movie uh, for this podcast, um, I think. I think I enjoyed it at least as much as I enjoyed Iron Man 1. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> and, and, we balanced out somehow. Well, and, and you know, I, I didn't not like it on the first view, but I remember like walking out of Iron Man 3 and I saw it at like my local, local, local theater. So like just I lived like a few blocks away from this theater. Uh, and I remember like getting out and just like starting to walk home and I was just like chuckling the whole time and I couldn't get over the Mandarin thing. Like I just I thought it. it was, I just thought it was so ridiculous. And I, and my first instinct was to like really enjoy that twist and be delighted by it. And then like some of the people that I had seen it with as I was walking home, cause I happened to live very close to a, a bunch of my friends in Brooklyn, uh, as Kevin knows all too well, uh, that I, uh, started talking to some of them and some of them were like, man, that was stupid. And I was like, what? I thought that that was a blast. That wasn't a consensus blast. And I think like some of like the zeitgeisty, uh, you know, vibe around this movie, uh, really weighed my opinion down over the years. But I'm ready to just come out in favor of Iron Man 3 without apologies. Uh, yes, like, I, I join think, us. I think that there are things that are, uh, not great with the movie that I think, um, has, has much to do with like behind the scenes strife. Like, I think that there was a real effort to make uh, Rebecca Hall, who plays Maya Hansen, um, a more active role in the plot. I think that there were early versions uh, in which she was actually going to be fulfilling the uh, the Mandarin role that Aldrich Killian, the Guy Pierce character, ends up fulfilling. And I think that that probably would have uh, worked better. Uh, in a lot of ways, it would certainly would have been more original. It would have been interesting. Uh, I think it would have been like uh, we'd already seen, you know, Tony's like uh, like uh, like doppelgangers, you know, do battle with him on rooftops before. I think it would have been interesting to see like sort of like his recklessness with women and the way that he's treated people in the past in that regard um, be uh, weaponized in the form of Maya Hansen. Like I think that that could have been a better arc if they could have written that well. Uh, there seems like there was some behind-the-scenes uh, creative disagreement on that. And I think that the movie wears some of that. But there's a lot about the movie that's just, like, vibe that I dig. I guess I like a good Christmas movie, too, man. Uh, give me a, give me your Home Alones. Your home, is it Homes Alone? Homes Alones. Yeah, your Homes Alone. Multiple plurals, Homes Alones. <laughs> your, give me your Homes Alones. You know, like I, the Die Hard Christmas movie for sure. Iron Man three Christmas movie and many Shane Black movies. I don't know. They if- almost all have, I think. I, I don't want to say for sure, but almost all of them have a Christmas scene uh, or take place at a part in Christmas. At the very least, of a very very healthy majority of Shane Black movies have a Christmas element to them. Um, and I think that's fun. And I think that's a cool motif for a director to work with. And, uh, I wish that I had an interview in front of me with Shane Black that expressed exactly why he is like 
the world's biggest Christmas stand. Uh, but I think that there's a lot of mood you can explore uh, when setting a story around that time of year. It's winter, there's snow, that gives you something visual. Um, there is something that's just very melancholy and contemplative of the end of the year, even though everybody knows that June is the real end of the year because of school. Um, but technically, December is the end of the year. And there is just like some feeling about that time, right? And I think like where we are in the story of Tony Stark as Iron Man as a franchise is ending here. You know, the character gets to live on because the Marvel Cinematic Universe is the franchise. But this sub-franchise and the first film series to start this whole thing off is coming to a close. And it needs to end in such a way that if you never saw another Iron Man story on film ever again, it would feel satisfying. And I think that there's a lot of this idea that's being explored in Iron Man 3 about, like, going back to that cave and, like, going back to, like, who was I that got myself out of there? Who was I that got myself out of uh, this claustrophobic nightmare? And the new claustrophobic nightmare he's dealing with in this movie is even somehow, even, I mean, it's obviously it's physical because like his, you know, he's almost assassinated a couple of times. He's without the armor, but it's almost more existential. And again, the cave stuff was existential. He changes his whole outlook on life. He stops the weapons manufacturing, the warmongering and everything, and he starts to be a superhero and wants to lean in more on the philanthropy side of uh, the the billionaire playboy uh, philanthropist equation. Um, but here, he's been to freaking space. You know, we're on the other side of the Avengers now. We are on the other side of a man who calculated in a moment that the best play to save the day and to, you know, save the woman that he loves, the, the thing that he cares about the most, which he expresses multiple times in this movie, but not just Pepper, the people that he cares about, because what happens to Happy really wrecks, with it, uh, really wrecks him too. I think this is a guy who had calculated that laying across the barbed wire is the move, not cutting the barbed wire. And he managed to survive that situation, but it was a move guiding the nuke through the portal in Avengers was a sacrifice play. He was willing to die in that moment. And now he's on the other side of that, and he's alive, and you can forgive the man if he's feeling a little anxious about it, if he's feeling some semblance of alien PTSD, this idea of, like, there is more out there than I've ever accounted for. When will this end? Will this end? Why am I feeling this way? And what can I do to get out of it? And I think stripping him of his of his wealth for a large swath of the movie stripping him of his like physical resources uh making him come up with like paintball gun blasters and shit like that it's just really really fun and lo-fi and very robert downey jr and capturing a lot of that kiss kiss bang bang magic uh which sounds really gross if you don't know that kiss kiss bang bang is a movie that robert downey jr starred in directed by shane black and as we've discussed previously kevin the reason why, um, in many ways, why Favreau picked Downey to be Tony Stark was that movie and that collaboration with Shane Black and Shane Black kind of working at least like in the shadows as somebody who was a consultant for the first two Iron Man movies. Makes a lot of sense for him to step up and be the director here in Iron Man 3. But there's just like a full tilt Robert Downey Jr. and a full tilt Shane Blackiness that are, for me, Two really great tastes that taste great together. Uh, and while there are things about this movie that I think like could have used work, is this a transcendent movie? No. Um, but is it like a really fun time? Yeah, 
absolutely. And I think on just like the pure enjoyment level, I enjoy it as much as the first Iron Man. I think it loses some points in the historic value that Iron Man gains. But I think on a pure enjoyment level and as a quality of movie, I think that this is at least as good as the first Iron Man. Maybe a, maybe a hair better as a movie. I mean, for me, I mean, like, I agree with everything you said. I do think it's a hair better than, than Iron Man, the first Iron Man. I think, I think there's, it's like you said, there's a lot of great stuff in this movie. And I mean, I, you know, I'd love to hit on all of them, but I do want to hit first and foremost on what you've been talking about. And that's the Tony Stark story of it all. And I think this story structurally, I think structurally, this is the, one of the best films that we've seen in terms of a character journey, a character arc and how the things play out across the board. Um, things bled into each other really well. Shane Black is a good does a good job in his movies with these character plotting and 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 actual plot tying in together. But this is a movie about Tony Stark suffering this PTSD. He obviously went through a lot. But I saw this movie in a way that I hadn't before, even um, because I experienced the rest of the MCU. This movie sets up the idea of Tony as a dad. That's something that plays out in dividends later on. But more than that, I remember the first time this movie came out, people were kind of. Like, what was the point of him blowing up all his armor if he was just going to have more armor later in the next Iron Man, in the next Avengers and stuff? And watching this movie now, it occurred to me, like, the PTSD he's suffering and what his character journey is, isn't about he doesn't need the armor. It's that he's not dependent on the armor. That's the key factor in this movie. It wasn't about, like, I don't need this armor. It's He doesn't need to depend on it because he, as Tony Stark, can accomplish what needs to be done. He is the real power. He's the real superhero. Iron Man is Iron Man because of him, not because of the suit. And that is the key factor I want to bring up because it occurred to me about what this movie really is at the end of the day. This movie is the basis for that moment in Spider-Man Homecoming when he has that argument with Peter and Peter says, I'm nothing without the suit. And Tony says, if you're nothing without the suit, then you shouldn't have it. Yeah, This is that movie. If this movie didn't happen... Tony has no right to say that. Nothing he did in the first Iron Man, the second Iron Man, or even Avengers gave him the ability or the right to say that if you need the suit, you don't deserve to have it. Or if you're nothing about the suit, you don't deserve to have it. This is that movie. Without this movie, I don't think Tony had a bit like to stand on, an iron leg to stand on. Um, and it plays out really yeah. well into establishing why Tony Stark is great. There's so much amazing things in this movie, especially in the Tony Stark field. Like, Seeing his intelligence at work, seeing his ingenuity, seeing him stripped down to be like, I can accomplish this because I'm smart. That that detective scene where he's breaking down the crime scene, that Batman should have envy for that. That has not happened <laughs> yeah. to that level inside a Batman movie. That man's supposed to be the world's greatest detective. And like what Tony Stark did was great. It was seeing him use his intelligence in a way that that is not just I built a machine. I think that's really cool. I mean, it was very Arkham Asylum inspired, actually, um, which did come first. But you see those parallels. You see these really cool scenes. And the other thing I do want to call out before I forget it is that um, this movie has two other things that I think are some of the best in the MCU. Uh, the first is that I think continuously beat for beat, this movie has arguably at least top five across the board action scenes. You know my thing about action scenes, and I think that did stem from Shane Black himself even, because every action scene in this film is unique to the environment and it takes place and feels unique and feels different. From the attack on his house to him infiltrating the Mandarin's mansion to the airplane to the ending, everything felt really interesting and different. Um, and the other thing, sorry, as I continue to ramble here. No, it's um, great. Is uh, Before I forget, this is the best James Rhodes we've ever, ever seen and will ever see in the MCU. I think Rhodey never hits 
the level he is here in this movie as as the rest of them. He has really awesome moments. His interplay with Tony is top-notch, which Shane Black is known for. He is the buddy cop master, and we see that play out at the end especially. But I think this is the best roadie by far and away that we're ever going to get in the MCU. Yeah, I think that's... Uh, I'm just trying to do the quick scan, and I think like probably the most I ever feel for roadie is when he is uh, shot out of the sky in Civil War because mm-hmm. I'm very worried for him in that moment. Um, I also I think about how much I enjoy him and Iron Man trying to lift Mjolnir in in Age of Ultron, but that's a scene. You it's know? a scene. It's a scene. This is this is you know a movie's worth of of Rhodey's story, and there's no uh, like drunken birthday brawl. Uh, you know everything here is good. They're on the same page. The Iron Patriot stuff is a little tacky and just like clearly like we're selling some more action figures here. Uh, and I, I wonder if we'll see a, a, an Iron Patriot uh, resurrection at some point down the line in the MCU, uh, especially if we can get Norman Osborn uh, in it. Like mm-hmm. now we now we've got like the basis for that, like the, the deck is set for. Like that would be that would be really cool if they ever chose to do a straight up War Machine movie, right? Like I think uh, to have Rhodes go up against Norman Osborn would be would be dope. Um, I think it could be a, a, a pretty cool movie. Um, but yeah, I I agree. I think that he's he's fantastic. The what you're what you're talking about too with the you're nothing without the suit. Um, if you're nothing without the suit, you don't deserve to have it. Conversation from Spider Man um, that he goes through here. Like that's that's again like. A lot of this movie is a response to uh, Avengers overtly, you know, him on the other side of the Battle of New York. Um, but I think that, like, it, it's on the, the other side of that philosophical fight that he had that almost turned into a physical fight that he has with Captain America on the helicarrier when Loki's scepter is tweaking out. Um, and, you know, that's what Cap says to him there, like, take off the suit and who are you? I feel like that's a that's a question that sears into Tony in a way that he never quite gives up, you know, front-facing. Um, so I really, really like that observation. I, I think that that, that works. I mean, look, the reason people don't like this movie is because of the Mandarin. Now I'm excited to talk about this. Let's just do this. Let's Let's just do it because it's the reason why people don't like the movie. I think, um, I mean, we've got feedback. We'll, we'll, we'll get into like different observations from the feedback, but like, I think that that is, would you, would you agree or disagree with the idea that like when people say that Iron Man three is bad, that's because they're mad about the Mandarin thing. I agree. I think a lot of people were excited about the idea of the Mandarin showing up. And when that was like taken away from them. And I mean, there's an easy complaint to make where it's just like, oh, you could have had a Mandarin. And instead, you had like another business guy in a suit, which is true. But at least this business guy had an interesting power set. And I think that at least made for an interesting fight at the end is because his power set was different. He's I got think the extremist it, stuff, which comes right. from... I, I don't remember how much I loved the Iron Man comic book arc that did this. Um, I remember it had awesome artwork, and I do think that visually it translates really, really well in Iron Man 3. Like, James Badge Dale, like, as, like, uh, you know, Chase Edmonds from 24, uh, like, <laughs> glowing, glowing with hot orange fire and just, like, kind of, like, being, like, uh, a cocky douchebag with those powers. It's a cool look. I think, it, I think it really does look very, very, very cool. Uh, the guy Pierce of it all notwithstanding. Absolutely. And honestly, I mean, that's the thing, too. Like, I, I understand the problems with it where it's just like, oh, Guy Pierce is the bad guy. But again, I, th- I think he does a good job in, in terms it doesn't again, it doesn't go all the way there. But I think he does the good villain contrast better than a lot of the other stuff we saw where Tony Stark is about being in the spotlight. That's his whole deal, right? He's a man. He's a genius man 
in an ego with an ego who loves being the spotlight. This is the opposite of that. This is different, right? This is this is Tony Stark who decided to work behind the scenes, and that's what Killian ultimately is: someone who wanted to be anonymous versus going out. I am saying, the Mandarin, right? You I know, mean, I mean, like you have that moment. Stupid as hell. <laughs> that was that was not great. That it's was not, not great. great. It's really. Um, not. I do feel bad for Guy Pierce though, because like honestly, I think Guy Pierce is a great actor. He's in one of my yes, favorite films. Of obviously, all time. I love Guy Pierce. Do not get it twisted. Uh, Guy right. Pierce <laughs> is remarkable in just about everything that he touches. Uh, he's just in bad movies most of the time, unfortunately. <laughs> or he's he's often in bad movies, or or whatever the deal is, and and. I, I have said that, like, let's just be happy to have, you know, these actors in the MCU at all. But I do think that this is a waste of Guy Pierce. Like, isn't there a better role for, for Guy Pierce? If you can twist Guy Pierce's arm and get him into the MCU, there had to be someone better out there for Guy Pierce. Yeah, and that's, that is fair. And I think, you know, but that all ties into the Mandarin of it all, right? Like, people wanted the Mandarin and instead they got this guy who they felt was just kind of boring and bland, which is... Fair enough. I think his origin's interesting. His origin is obviously interesting because they copy it later, where it's yeah. just like Tony Stark was a dick to people and it caused him to become supervillains is something we'll see play out again, time and time again, uh, in the MCU, specifically Spider Man's. Um Spider's Man's. Spider's the Spider anyway. The Spider's Men. The Spider's The Spider's Men's. Um But yeah, and I, I but I I mean I need to like I think once we get into feedback I can hit it more. But for me, I was okay with the Mandarin twist. I thought it was hilarious the first time around. I still think that it is funny. I think that, you know, Ben Kingsley is hilarious all the way through. He's very amusing. But for me, I don't, I don't, I, I just, I can't imagine what the alternative is in a way I that would a be teacher. okay. America. Oh my God. You know, Before we the, continue. The voice he's doing, where Diet Coke is a fiction. Fortune cookies were made by Americans. This is like the era of bad then, accents for villains because like this oh, is Bane as well it's, it's, this is like the time for it <laughs> it's aping that shit so hard that's so, so hard. deliberate it's so deliberate and I think it is sterical apostrophe oh, sterical I think it's fiction because think it, it's as a hilarious. parody it's so good as a yes. parody it works so well because that's the whole thing is that his entire character arc is a bit of a parody um, and to me like that's the thing this is, this is why I'm okay with the Mandarin twist ultimately one, the Mandarin in the comics is a racist character. Full stop. Like, have, they, have they ever done a version of the Mandarin in the comics, to your knowledge, that has not um, that has been able to fix that issue? And like, if you can delve into a little bit of the history of the character too, would be would be awesome. I mean, I, I'm not going to say I'm an expert in, in the Mandarin or anything like that. I will say that up out front, you know, up front. But this character was, you know, formed at a time when. There was a lot of racial stereotypes in comics. Um, and certainly the Asian stereotype of the time of this ancient, you know, ancient Fu Manchu style wizard, um, was, was there. And like, he is this, uh, bad guy who has these ancient mystical rings that grant him the powers over, um, the elements, which, you know, the, the idea of the elements and the chi and chi and tied into Chinese mythology is also a thing that, you know, hits that stereotype. But like, that you know he's he's an iron man villain in that regard um i again i'm not an expert to know all the things i do know that they're gonna bring him in as a as the real mandarin as a villain in shang chi, in shang -Chi which i think is better because yeah. also worse is just having this white guy beat up on an asian stereotype yeah. um but like those are the things right like the the character was formed in a racist stereotype area and i i would not have wanted to see that in a film um 
to just embrace that in that way. And yes, you could just be like, well, let's not just make him the character. And that's sure, that's that's fine if that's the best we can do. But I think what's interesting about this, though, is that they turned the racism of that, the, the racist ca- part of the character into a plot point in a way. Because like the whole idea is that they turned... A, like they made him a terrorist because he had to be a terrorist so people would believe that he is a terrorist. So it's like, right. oh, they wouldn't have, you know, like they need to make a terrorist so they got, like they, they played into the race of it all. So I think that's smart. In a way, it, it, it cleverly subverted the idea of, of his race as a tool. Um, so those are all things I liked about that and I was okay with it. Now having Guy Pierce be like, I am the Mandarin. That's weird. That's odd. Like, he I don't, have and I don't do take that. that at face value. I take it as like that. I think that Shane Black is having a go at superhero tropes in this movie. Uh, and I, I think that like the, like sort of like the, the discombobulated, uh, vocal ticks of Ben Kingsley as the Mandarin is not by accident. I think it's like, it's taking a shot at the Bane stuff. Uh, I think we didn't really, uh, take too much stock in this at, at the time that we were talking about the Avengers, but the Avengers, you know, came out 2012, which is when I believe the Dark Knight Rises uh, also comes out when, you know, the Christopher Nolan trilogy ends. And that had a real shot of uh, defining superhero culture, superhero movie culture. Um, and those movies are still looked back very fondly upon, um, you know, but the MCU is the one that definitely has the greater impact. And I think the greater cultural standing as far as like tone um, of being able to show like you can you can be very very funny but also like very very serious and and all of that but there was like this period of time where and not just like necessarily in like the Nolan Batman movies but just in like even like spy fair where you're right like on like 24 like leaning into very racist uh you know characterizations of terrorist leaders and stuff and it's just it's like oh like awful awful stuff it's very yeah, come pervasive on Calpin, why why did they have to do that to you in a very pervasive yeah oh that's season six right yeah that's some bullshit yeah. uh yikes yeah i just had a thought can't talk about it yet um i i think that like shane black is playing with a lot of that stuff with not just the mandarin character but also with the guy pierce character to a certain degree uh, when he has that line of like, you wanted the real Mandarin, I am, I was always the Mandarin. And then he just gets immediately wrecked by yes. Pepper Potts with Gwyneth Which was Paltrow. Great. Once again, just really like underrated is Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper Potts throughout all of these movies. 100%. She's very, 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 very great. The true MVP really, of this entire it, MCU. You know, series. it's really fun to see her kicking some ass. Uh, you know, not that not that we absolutely needed it, but it is really, really fun. And well, Fox, that's also a good Emily Fox was watching with me, and she was like, "Yo, whoa, G pouch, what's going on here?" Like it was very, you know, goop a loop. Like there's a yeah. lot of fighting that's going on there. But I think, like, but, even in that moment, it's like uh, Guy Pierce gets to reveal, "I'm the real man," and then he just gets socked. And I think it's Shane Black doing something that is uh, using like the really big canvas of Marvel to like take shots at. Uh, superhero structure and story structure of like these kind of like big epic modern myths uh, and having a gas and like turning this this big hype like Reddit villain right of like uh, these are my theories about the Mandarin and the Ten Rings was being seated throughout all of these movies uh, and then it's just Trevor 
You know, it's just like the washed up actor who is being Trevor Slattery. That's pleasure to meet you. (laughs) You know, who's being like propped up on like Coke Zero and cocaine uh, (laughs) to like to like keep him alive and get you know keep him method and not even knowing like that he's actually contributing to real people dying. Um, That's that's going to disappoint a certain type of fan. And I don't necessarily think unfairly, and I do think that there are valid arguments and conversations and debates to be had about, um, did they just like change course? You know, they were setting up the 10 rings for a very long time. Obviously, now we know like they are still playing with that based on the fact that they're going to make the Shang-Chi movie. Um, but was it like setting up unfair expectation? Um, and when is, when is like pulling the rug out from under someone a worthwhile story move? To me, that's a, like lying to the audience, being like uh, intentionally deceptive in your messaging can be worthwhile to me if what you're actually messaging is great. And if the surprise is worth the secret keeping and the deception and the lying, it's your story. Protect it. I, that, is, that is a stance that, that I've come around to. And I know not everyone is there or people will think that that's bullshit. And it's totally fine. Um, it just happens to be how I feel about it. And for me, the Mandarin joke works so well. I just think it's so funny. And like this time around was like, I think maybe only like the third time I've ever seen this movie. And like watching all that Trevor stuff and seeing like, I am a teacher, uh, America, uh, call this number Mr. President. And just like all these different voices and like knowing it's just freaking Trevor the whole time. Filled me with glee. I thought it was fun and great and very Shane Black. And I'm, I'm just, I, I like Shane. I like the way Shane Black mostly tells a story. I think his his Predator movie that he did recently was garbage. But you know that there was a lot of issues with that movie. I feel like the parts of Predator that I really liked were all Shane Black. Yes, I think that that's right. I think that's right. I I don't want to drag him too hard for that. He also wrote the original Predator Yep. Uh, and you know, lethal you weapons know, created lethal weapon. You know, like this is a guy who like knows his way around this genre. So I think for him to like step up to the plate and do something playful within that space, uh, having like you know delivered a lot of like mustache twirly bad guys and ominous bad guys and stuff, uh, and to like use that veteran experience that he has within you know being being like at the heart of a lot of action iconography over the course of the decades. Uh, getting this chance to do something subversive really works for me, though I understand why it doesn't for other people. Um, like, to, there's there's like a, a level of people who I think like just can't enjoy like a, a funny thing, and then there's like a level of people that have like I think valid criticism about it, like people who are like who it just doesn't land for. And I and I, th- I think that if that if that describes you, that's that's totally fine. For me, more and more, I've just like started to like unashamedly fall deeply in love with Trevor Slattery as a character. And for I, sure, I, and I think I certainly know. hope that they do like a Thunderbolts <laughs> movie someday, and he's like an integral part of the team. Oh my god, that'd be god, that'd amazing! Be Absolutely uh, incredible. I, I think I think you're you you know again like I think we're in agreement here. I think that character is hilarious. I love you get Ben Kingsley bit. to play him. You know, like I you know, get like right? Ben King like and that like feeds into it even more. No, for sure. And I think you know it is tough with 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 this character. And I can understand someone being disappointed where it's just like they were setting this up. But again, it's really hard for me to just look at this. I mean, it's it's 
it's really difficult for me to say that the, the, the idea, like, it's hard for me not to look at something without thinking about race because I always look at something and think about race. It's sort of my MO. But, like, that again, that character's origins made it, I think, impossible to really do the character in this movie or with Iron Man specifically in a way that would be right. And I think Shang-Chi is the right place to do it. I, it's it's like when, I mean, the, the comparison for me, you know, is with Batman Begins. There are people, there were some people I remember being really like, I think there were some people who were like trying to be offended on like, you know, uh, like not my behalf, but like, you know, the, the, the racial behalf of being like, oh man, you cast Rachel Gould and Liam Neeson, a white guy. Or, you know, like, 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 or just upset over the fact that they just whitewashed a character or whatever. But for me, I was actually super okay with that because otherwise what? The one, you know, like brown character in Batman is a terrorist? Cool. Like, I was (laughs) happy that they did that, that they changed the race to be a white person. That's fine because then the one brown person isn't a terrorist. Now, the solution for me is just, hey, maybe just have more brown people in the world of comics totally. but like that you know that that's like the perfect example and it's the same way as this is just like oh well don't you want the representation and i'm like i want right representation like if yeah. my only option is a racist character or a racial like a stereotype okay or a racial I'll... character right but you see like... what i did there <laughs> I mean, so you gotta sorry. take what you can get, you know, yes. to an extent. And like, if that's the case, fine. But I feel like we should be beyond that at this point. So yeah, that's a long-winded way of saying like I was okay with this with this twist. <laughs> and that's I know that this feels, by the way, in this conversation, the way you've been talking about it, this is the last Jedi of of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Whoa! This is a movie that's ah. that subverted a lot of tropes, that tried to do something different, that challenged a lot of stuff, and some people really liked it, and some people didn't, and. I think The Last Jedi is better, but um, it really started to feel like that in a weird way of like what expectations were and being upset that those expectations weren't met and how they subverted it. Um, because this movie is a subversion, like you said, of I think a lot of superhero tropes, and I love that about Shane Black. I like that how he did that. This movie feels so different, Josh. I don't know if you felt it, but watching this, this movie felt nothing like any other Marvel movie I think I had seen or will see. It just was structured. It was paced differently. It was shot differently. The interchange of dialogue was, was different. It was a Shane Black movie. It was a Shane Black movie. And because of that, I think that is a uniqueness for all the people that are like, this is a Disney film. It's the opposite. I think the movies start to feel more very similar moving forward in tone. And this one kind of stands out from that. Even the comedy is very different. And the comedy is very Shane Black. But I love the, the, the humor and the dialogue. Of course, everyone knows the scene with the, uh, honestly, I hate working here they're so weird is is great but there's so many beats of that throughout this film and again the 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 james road stuff like when he's in the suit and he's just like you know don't come off don't come off don't come off okay let's go and then just jumps out and punches a dude yeah oh you breathe fire now like all of that's great the ending scene where he's shooting with tony and he's just like no one can shoot a ball from that that area and just jumps up shoots it comes back down and gives him a look those are the things i love i love that type of humor and that's humor we don't really see actually moving forward from this moment um but I really loved all that, but I can understand how some people might not. It might not be their style. It may not be their jam. It might not be what the what they want or expect from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And especially moving forward, it, it moves away from that. I think you touched on something really interesting with the connecting. Just one of, thing, though. <laughs> the only one thing. There's the one thing that you said that I thought was good. The rest of it, throw <laughs> away. Uh, with with the, the arc reactor into the ocean. 
Uh, <laughs> no, obviously, I love everything you have to say. Um, I I think that the idea of like connecting feelings about this movie to to feelings about the Last Jedi resonates with me. In that, I think like they're both subversive movies, and I think the fr- the phrase subverting expectations has uh, become like drenched in this really like you know like mixed case uppercase lowercase you know like uh like you know sort of like drenched in sort of this energy around it of like subverting expectations is like this bad thing and it's not if it's executed well and then like that becomes where the battle should be fought is like do you did this was this executed well for you or was it not like the the act of subverting expectations is not in itself like a sinful act like that's trying to tell a clever and interesting story and then the question is did you do it well and that's going to be taste dependent for a lot of people you know art is uh subjective so it's gonna it's gonna work very differently for a lot of people and for like the last jedi this is not a star wars podcast so we won't get heavily into that uh there are there are aspects of that movie that are just like unequivocally not good Uh, there there are parts of that movie that for me for me are not good. There are You're wrong, Josh. You're wrong. There are large swaths of that movie that I don't enjoy. But like the grand thematic idea uh, works so well for me and worked so well for me at the time um, and still resonates with me um, thematically. And, and I think that Iron Man 3 is like a, a lower stakes version of that. Like there's the conversation around Iron Man 3 is nowhere near as hot as it is around The Last Jedi. And I think that's because, like, The Last Jedi is, you know, certainly, I, I can't believe I'm, like, trying not to spoil The Last Jedi, but I am trying. Uh, it's a curtain call for certain characters uh, that have decades of history behind them, and that matters to people, and that's great, and it should. Uh, and if that doesn't work for you, you're going to have a really hot reaction to that. This isn't the curtain call for Iron Man. It's the curtain call for the Iron Man trilogy. Uh, Iron Man has like some semblance of closure in this movie, Tony Stark. And if it ended here, Dianu, but like it continues, it goes on and he's going to be back in a movie, like two or three movies from now. And then he'll be back in um, like the almost very next movie and the almost very next movie after that. So like we still have a good amount of the Iron Man arc to get through. And I think if that hadn't been the case, and like this was like the end of Iron Man, like maybe people would be a lot angrier about this being uh, the final Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man performance. But that's just not it. So like that's where I think the two comparisons diverge. But I think like there is still that same idea around both of these movies of like coming in with a certain set of expectations. In this case, like here we go, Iron Man versus Mandarin. And then it's not really that. It's really more Tony Stark versus himself. Uh, it's really more about Tony Stark coming to a measure of, of peace with who he is and having like gotten out of the cave. Uh, and yeah, his, his morals course, correct, but his narcissism doesn't. And he still pours himself into like the celebrity of being Iron Man. And that doesn't even really change in Iron Man two, right? Like, I guess like the big breakthrough in Iron Man two is he realizes that he is a human being worthy of love of his father's affection and the affection of a partner and the affection of his friends. But he's still like, not like free of like the narcissism that comes with being Iron Man, globally renowned Iron Man and Avengers gets you closer to that resolution. But that's an ensemble piece where the ensemble is the protagonist. 
And this gets you all the way the rest of the way. This gets you all the way the rest of the way that, like, for Tony, what he's going to become in Avengers, uh, Age of Ultron, his very next step in his continued arc is not about, like, glory for Iron Man. It's about, like, all right, so I have, like, kind of, like, thematically retired as Iron Man. I've, like, ceremonially retired as Iron Man by, like, getting rid of the arc reactor, throwing it in the ocean, clearing that whole thing up, uh, blowing up all of the suits of armor. But I'm still an Avenger, because Avengers need to be avenging. World needs avenging. But the whole point of Age of Ultron is going to be, like, what's the superhero retirement plan look like? Right? Like, so it's it's even, like, continuing that thread beyond. So I think, like, a lot of, like, the main thrust of, like, Tony Stark being held back by being Tony Stark, that is largely dealt with in this movie. And I don't think, tell me if you disagree, I don't think that's a thing anymore uh, from this point in the MCU. No, 100%. I think this movie did, like, when you, when you look at the as at a capper of, of, of Iron Man as a singular franchise of films, this is the ending of it to me. And I think this is a great ending because it's a man coming to terms with himself and, and what his future needs to be. And like, you could wrap up a nice little bow on that and be like, he is, he has come to terms of who he is. He realizes what he's capable of and he realizes what, you know, he, he, he's, you know, able to accomplish as a person versus just as a suit of armor. And I think the next step that we do see moving forward is like now that he no longer needs to worry about building a suit of armor for himself. How does he build a suit of armor for the world? And we see that resonate throughout. I don't think you can necessarily always carry a full movie of character journey with another Iron Man after this. I think Iron Man is utilized the only way he can now because his story as an individual sort of ended, but doesn't mean his character no longer evolves. The narcissism, as you said, never fully goes away. And like the Iron Man we end up seeing, the one who's so sure that he knows what the answers are, that he knows what the right solution are for the future, still stem from this person we saw in this movie, and it makes a logical uh, character journey moving forward. But it's hard to think, like, well, what do you do next it's as far as, like, building up that character more? And it has to be these smaller pieces, these smaller stories that will cause reverberations throughout the universe because he's such an important character. But as a singular focal point character, I think there was not a lot more that needed to be said or done immediately. Um, you would have just ended up with Iron Man action film, and like that's fine, but you lose the character stuff. You lose the character growth and evolution. So yeah. yeah, I think I think like you said, I think we see a lot of it going forward. But like this is the bow for me in terms of like what that character is and and who Tony Stark is and who Iron Man is and how they relate to each other. Um, also, can we talk about the kid though? Because we yeah! haven't talked about that. We're of, on the same of, page. That the kid is great, right? Yeah, the kid's fantastic. The kid's absolutely fantastic. Uh, there's there's. There's no world in which I'm mad at the kid, although Brendan Fitzpatrick wanted to know, uh, is Iron Man 3 kid Spider-Man? <laughs> no, he's Iron Lad, who will be in the Young Avengers, oh, which is what yeah, my prediction is, because I feel like that uh, needs to happen. Well, um, Ty, Sim- Ty uh, Simpkins is the actor who plays, uh, who plays uh, Hartley, or Harley, rather, um, in, in Iron Man 3, shows up at the funeral in Endgame, he had a role in The Nice Guys, which was another Shane Black movie. Um, I don't, I don't, uh, he was in Jurassic World. Oh, yeah, he was in Jurassic World, wasn't he? Um, so, like, I don't think that he has, like, a, like a, a shockingly active uh, career as an actor right now, but it's certainly a door that's open should they want to bring him in if they do a Young Avengers. Like, 
that could be fun. Uh, you know, I think it could be really, really fun to. to I thought have that him. kid had great delivery. Like maybe he, was he wasn't in a lot of stuff, but like his his I'm read cold. on that. The, I'm really, cold, really but funny. his read on that line where he was just like, "My dad went out for scratchers and he must have won because that was six years ago." Maybe yeah. laughed a lot, like the way he yeah. read it. Like it was great, and yeah, I, I think he did a good job. But I, I, I like honestly, like put that kid in in Young Avengers. I'm cool with it. Also, a weird connection because um, the actress who plays Betty Brant in um the spider-man films is also in the night guy nice guys oh i didn't know that yeah how about that yeah lots Um, of weird odd connections in the mcu i guess (laughs) let's let's start getting into some feedback that'll that'll guide us through um you were curious about the community's reaction to iron man 3 i've got i've got some excerpts from some uh some listener reviews of iron man 3 um from benji this is from benji he says i thought tony was the funniest in this one of all three i laughed out loud a lot the chemistry RDJ has with Don Cheadle is wonderful. Ben Kingsley, a total gem. I seriously was rolling on the floor during the scene with that reveal. Uh, so that's review number one. Positive review. Uh, from Jared. Uh, we got this at Jared. This is the first movie in the rewatch that I've moved down from what I remembered about it heading in. It has a ton of great concepts in it, but it really goes for quantity over quality. There's so many ideas that I think could have been great if they got fleshed out a bit more, but instead so many of them wind up half-baked. Um, Brendan Fitzpatrick seems to be in line with that take as well. Fitzy says, ultimately, this isn't the worst of the MCU, but I agree with others that this movie just kind of is a mess. There's just too much of everything. I like the idea of an Iron Man who loses everything, but we really only get that for about 20 minutes until he's back to normal. You could see the holes of the unclear direction they had while writing it. I came away liking this much less than I did watching it for the first time the day after Endgame. Any lessons learned and progress made by Tony as a character is immediately undercut by what he does in Ultron. Um, I, I think that we just touched on that piece of it a little bit, Kevin. We did. How, how, do you have anything more to add? Because like, I, I think Ultron is like a Tony Stark who who blew up all of his armor. He's still avenging because like, you know, his term isn't complete. You know, he has he's not able to leave office yet for what it's, you know, worth. Um, and he wants to retire. He wants to get out the game. And moreover, he doesn't want the game to have to exist anymore. And so he's go- he's now like redirecting his focus on building like a superhero retirement plan, essentially. And it just goes belly up. Yeah. And I think that is the key thing. I think this that like alternate is a logical pro- uh, progression. Again, like when he's done building armor for himself, when he realizes he doesn't need the armor, like he's going to use it. It's not about do you have the armor or not? It's just full dependency on the armor. The idea becomes what do you do next? You, you don't need to protect yourself. You, the ending of this movie is that he realizes he can take care of himself. He realizes he doesn't need the armor. How do you take care of everything else? What do you do when you're this person to protect the world? What do you do when you have to build a suit of armor for the world itself? And that is the progression that we see that leads to his direction in Ultron moving forward. What's interesting about Tony Stark is that he's never a bad guy, right? Like we question a lot of his motives and we get mad at him because he does things like the superhero registration act, but he does think he's right because he's trying to do what he believes strongly is right. And in a certain view, it is, I mean, you know, I've talked before, Robin and I are on very different ends of the spectrum about superhero registration in the comics. She's pro and I'm against, but like, that's the thing. I think he has an argument. He has a strong argument and nothing he says or does moving forward contradicts what we see at the end of this because his internal journey to an extent, the 
major progression of it is over and we're just seeing a lot of external work of what he's trying to do. Now, does that influence who he is on the inside and do we still see a full arc come across? Yes, but it's, it's, it's different. It, it, yeah, again, I, just, I do think the progression makes total sense. Um, let's, keep, let's keep digging in because a lot of love for the Tony Stark arc in this movie from the listeners. Uh, the great Alex Rubino writes in, in this movie, we saw a new focus on Iron Man's mental health do you see this as a sign of progression in the entire MCU or just as another layer to Iron Man's character? Um, do you think that they are, uh, that this is for you, is it a, a turning point in like the internal qualities of these, of these stories? Um, I think that like, for example, it's a movie that like gets dunked on a little bit relatively within like the rankings of these movies. But I think like Guardians 2 deals with like, uh, like feelings of like being like abandoned by your dad or like being let down by your dad that are like really heady uh, that so many people can relate to. Um, is this just part and parcel with it? Is this a is this a special instance of sort of like the cerebral work? Um, what are your thoughts on all that? I do think they're they're as we said, there is a bit of a change in the tonality of the Marvel films moving forward, but I do think there's a falseness to that. I think the, a lot of these movies do have extra layers to them and extra depth to them. I think this movie leans into a little bit more than we will be seeing moving forward. Guardians is hard because ultimately it is an ensemble piece, but it's about finding family. And I think those ideas, those themes, those cerebral things about like what is the real depth of like character peeling apart, I, I do think it's there. It's just really glossed over in like shiny coatings um and we kind of get lost in the the shiny paint of it all moving forward but i do think those things are still there Uh, again i do think this movie is different i do think we don't have a movie that feels the same way as this one does moving forward but i don't know it's hard to be like no other movies get cerebral like this one i think no they kind of do i i don't know that's that that is tough no no when we watch oh wait black panther black panther negates that (laughs) so Uh, talking about the Mandarin stuff. So a few thoughts on the Mandarin. Uh, one, this is from Hartrick, who says, far and away, Ben Kingsley, best part of the movie, the affect in his voice, the teleprompts, his eventual anti-reveal. In a more ordinary Marvel movie, he is extraordinary. Uh, we don't have a lot of, like, hate for the Ben Kingsley Trevor stuff, uh, in the, in, in the feedback, which is That's nice. That's good. That's good. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, but Riley notes, apparently Shane Black fought for the villain to be Maya Hansen. But Ike uh, Perlmutter overruled him. Um, Ike Perlmutter being, uh, you know, a, a big head honcho at Marvel at the time. Uh, not exactly a beloved figure. Um, I think that reveal works so much better, Riley continues. And I can even see the point in the film where it can happen and it would be brilliant. The scene where Maya gets shot by Guy Pierce. Imagine if it's flipped and Maya shoots Guy Pierce and reveals that she's the brains behind the organization and the real bad guy in charge of everything. And Guy Pierce is just funding it and trying to get revenge while Maya plotted and planned and was truly in charge. I do think it would have been better. I think it would have been better. I, I think that, for me, the, the Guy Pierce piece is, uh, is the weakest stuff of the movie, which always makes me sad because I just love that actor so much. Uh, yeah, I mean, do I think that could have been really better and really great? Yes. I mean, this honestly, at the, like, I didn't know about that. and that There's honestly even the point, me- Kevin, when, when, uh, when Tony gives out his address... Yeah. And uh, the first person who shows up is, is Maya Hansen. Yeah, you know? that's a good point. 
but like there. that just makes me like Shane Black more, knowing that again yeah. he could have done something great. And like like with Predator, they had some issues. <laughs> he tried. He tried. Uh, Jared says, "I love the concept of using the Mandarin as a symbol, even though I think it's a little underdeveloped." But Killian himself is just woefully lacking in compelling motivation or character for me. Is his motivation just that war equals profit? Despite the movie's intro, he doesn't even care about Tony until Tony directly threatens him. Um, Yeah, do you have a defense of Guy Pearce? Um, Not a super strong one. Again, I think he works better than a lot of the business guy in a suit villains we've seen before because I think there's a better connection to Tony. Like, when you consider what we have come before, right? Like, um, as much as we love Jeff Bridges, why does he care about Tony Stark? He was friends with Howard Stark. He cares about the company. Like his connection to, to Tony is minimal at best. Um, same thing, Ivan Venko. No, it has nothing to do with Tony. It has to do with his dad. Uh, Justin Hammer doesn't like have a necessarily like a vendetta against Tony. They're just business rivals. So this is the first villain that we see that has a connection to the hero that the hero inadvertently caused to become villainous. And I think that is better than a lot of the Iron Man villains we've seen come about previously. I think it's something that connects it, you know, uh, like I said, a little more directly, but also like it's interesting motivation. Like that whole thing where it's like a guy who's about to kill himself because he's just like, what worth am I? Um, and then becomes something different. And like, do I think it pays off at the end in a full circle? No, I don't think it, 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 it hits it in an amazing, amazing way, but I don't think he's terrible. He's not as bad as any of the other villains that I've just listed off, honestly. No um, offense, Jeff Bridges in your box of scraps. <laughs> it is a box of scraps uh this is from andrew should happy hogan bring back the vincent vega look he's rocking at the start of the movie thought he pulled it off yeah it is funny with that with with uh like the the 10 years earlier like the late 90s hair that some of these people are uh are sporting in that first we haven't really talked about the favreau of it all and that john favreau isn't directing this one this is shane black is directing it john favreau directed the first two movies um it doesn't feel like there's a big like like enmity reason like it doesn't feel like a bad breakup it feels like that almost happened for iron man 2 and then didn't happen for iron man 2 it feels more like favreau wanted to direct other stuff and had like a few other things that he was eyeing as a director uh, including this movie magic kingdom um which i don't think has been released it's supposed to be sort of like night at the museum but for disney world according oh to God. the great uh torbjorn frazier josh um Josh, I need that movie. If that movie, I know, like, if John Favreau was doing that movie, somebody let that movie happen. That sounds incredible. That sounds like for me, like I, I can't even form sentences from that one. But he you did know, Jungle I, Book shortly afterwards. He's done he a lot did, of Disney stuff. He's after, done a after lot. After he did so. Jungle Book. He did. Uh, he did Lion King. Obviously, he presided over the Mandalorian and is continuing to. Yep. So he's you know he's in both of the Spider Man movies in prominent roles. So he's obviously like very still in with Marvel. Um, yeah. Like, I, I don't think that that's an issue. I think, like, he probably feels at this point in his career he wants to do something creatively different. I think uh, I'm pretty sure that Cowboys and Aliens came out at this point. Yeah, 2011. Mm. And that went poorly for so many reasons. And Fabra well. directed that. Uh, so maybe he, like, just needs something different at this point. some time away. RDJ was almost in that movie. He wasn't ultimately. So who knows? Like if there's just like, you know, like I need a break from doing all the action stuff. And in his career, you know, I think that uh, John Favreau has like a, a, a John Favreau is a really uh, compelling. Um, uh, I, I love his career. I think his career is fascinating to me. 
where he he makes the Iron Man movies. Uh, Iron Man 2 is not like well-loved, but it makes a lot of money. Then he makes Cowboys and Aliens, which is not only not well-loved, but barely uh, uh, makes money. Um, makes uh, like 11,000 profit, I think, <laughs> uh, on, his, on his like enormous budget. And he doesn't make a movie for a long time after that. Um, he's supposed to make this Magic Kingdom movie. It doesn't happen. The movie he comes back with is going back to his indie roots uh, and going back uh, to, to basics. Uh, going into the cave and going into the box of scraps, as it were, and making Chef and making a movie that's about uh, a chef on, on a food truck who's trying to reinvent himself. It's a great movie. Uh, and he comes back with Jungle Book and Lion King, and you don't have to like the movies, but they did really well. And he made The Mandalorian. So, like, I thought Jungle back. Book was great, honestly. So, people like I, I haven't seen it, but I know people like it. Uh, so, it's one of the I, few I think his, good remakes. I think his career is fascinating to me. Well, you also so, skipped over his wonderful acting turn in uh, the amazing original Daredevil movie. So, oh uh, right, well that happened. Uh, <laughs> th- that happened many moons ago. That we should, we've we've that talked takes about me back to our first time. podcast, Josh. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, the first the first podcast you and I ever did together was yep, uh, we was, watched was Daredevil a, because we were doing the Daredevil Netflix series, and we correct. watched uh, the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie just to like set our palettes right. Yeah, and it was a great decision. We paused. We paused in the middle of podcasting <laughs> to go watch it, then came back, and boy, did our tone change. <laughs> uh, Trevor C wants to know which of the many Iron Man suits in the final act was your favorite. Oh, that's a good question. See, we didn't even hit on that. Like honestly, like that fight scene's so great. Seeing yeah. all those suits show up, I, I'm I'm just as giddy now thinking about that fight scene as I was when I first saw it. And there's pieces like this that hold up as my favorite. I don't know. I really just loved. The like rescuer one that like runs out and like uses this little like back thing to like hold up the 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 um the crane coming down. I thought was really great. That was That's a really like the cool proto Hulkbuster, right? Yeah, pretty much, right? Like the because the Hulkbuster that we end up seeing is is very similar in design. Uh, the one that splits itself apart is really cool. There's a lot of really yep. cool armor that shows up that show up at the end fight, and it's really fun to watch that. Tons, happen. tons of awesome action figures, like yes, really cool yes. merchandise. Uh, <laughs> Did you have very, a favorite, Josh? <laughs> Uh, I don't remember which one it's called, but it's got like it's sort of got like a, a like an off black gold look to it. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, the black and it, gold one. Or was it again, uh, was it white and gold? I don't know. Kevin, hmm. that's a joke about the dress. Oh, remember the one that was? First of all, it's uh, white and gold and blue and oh, black. God. So uh, and also the answer is blue and black. And um. That also, uh, you know what though, forty two is a pretty good one. The uh, good old Mark forty two, good old Mark, was 42. a fun suit of armor. I love when it tries to show up at the end and it just falls apart. It's a great moment. All right, let's let's get into these Infinity Stone rankings, Kevin. Uh, where you and I are ranking each movie from a scale of zero to six Infinity Stones. I give a score, you give a score. Audience gives their score. We take the audience average, and there you have it. The fourth data point, the official score. Um, Iron Man three. So the first Iron Man, I gave a five, and Still it was a big. High, Josh. <laughs> well, it was a bump up for historic value, is what I had said at the time, and I think probably like it's closer to a four point five uh, in reality for me. And I think Iron Man three is at least that good. So that's where I landed with it. I'm giving Iron Man three a four point five, which I think is higher than I expected to give coming into this podcast. Um, I definitely gave it. 
a little bit lower than I was expecting it to give. I equaled you, so my prediction at the beginning sort of worked out. We sort of met in the middle um, from our different ends on this one. Because I remember thinking afterwards, I feel like I enjoyed it almost as much as I did Captain America the First Avenger. And it's funny because I think I gave Captain America the First Avenger like 0.1 higher than this. So that yeah, actually worked out. Um, so yeah, 4.5 for me. I mean, I praise a lot of it and I stand by that praise. I do see in the bigger comparativeness of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it does feel like a different film. It doesn't necessarily meet to where the other ones are. And I think it's better on a first viewing than it is on subsequent viewings, just in terms of having as much fun as that first time. So we are we are off by a full point from uh, our our fingers are off the mark of the of the audience uh, their pulse by by a full point. So you are four point five. I'm a four point five. They're a three point five collectively. I mean, um, it's divisive, and, right? It's like almost dead yeah, center. here. That makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. And like this is one of those instances where like the fact that you and I are simpatico on a thing maybe makes for boring podcasting because we're not slugging it out and fighting about a controversial ish movie. Like we both like it. Um, I know that like that doesn't represent the people who dislike it as well. Um, but it, there are a bunch of people who gave this movie fives, high fours, uh, as low as a one, uh, that I, that I talk. Uh, don't (laughs) listen, you know, like people have different tastes and everything. (laughs) 1.5, a couple of ones, um, some twos, 2.5s, but a bunch of fives, some in the threes, some in the fours. So, Really all over the map, like high variance on, on Iron Man 3. And with that being the case, the fact that it had a 3.5 as the listener average uh, is, is impressive on like both ends of that, uh, you know, the, the polls there. Um, so with that 3.5 from the audience and the 4.5 from me and the 4.5 from you, that's definitely going to weight it. Um, Iron Man 3, according to the Infinity Stones rankings, is a vastly superior movie to Thor. Uh, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> It is, it is smack dab in the middle right now. It's the Avengers in the top spot with 5.81. Uh, Captain America, the first Avenger with 4.67. Uh, OG Iron Man with 4.53. Here comes Iron Man 3 with 4.16. Uh, and Thor then is fifth, 3.23. So that's, you know, almost a full point, uh, difference. Um, Iron Man 2 with 2.81. And the Incredible Hulk still bringing up the rear, 1.88. Um, so I, it's a big, it's a big divergence. Um, I will say though, of, of Iron Man 3, Thor, Iron Man 2, and the Incredible Hulk, those being the way they fall in the rankings, that is also the order in which it falls with the listener average. Um, Iron Man 3 is the Uh, king of of those four movies with the listener average, with a 3.5 listener average to the 3.3 on Thor, the 2.9 on Iron Man 2, and the 2.1 on the Incredible Hulk. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if like people are gonna be like, "Wow, you guys are really high on Iron Man 3. Um, we like the movie. I had a very good time watching the movie. Yeah, as professional people who talk about movies, as if that's a thing on podcasting, we enjoyed ourselves. There's a lot to like about this movie. But there's and like I don't actually know. nothing professional about any of this. Yeah, but. no, we're we're a mess. But like yeah. again, the action scenes alone, I just feel are so strong in this film that they stand out to me beyond other. Like Marvel movies, they just feel cool and unique and interesting and dynamic. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we gotta get we gotta get into the villain rankings. Um, this will be fun. Yeah, so the audience, uh, we're, we're all on the same page. Aldrich Killian is just whatever. Uh, a two from me uh, is what I is what I gave Aldrich Killian. You're high. You're high on Aldrich Killian. I see a three point five from Kevin Mahadeo. 
Yeah, I just feel like to me he was as fine as the Red Skull. I guess is where we're standing wow. on it. Um, that's that's a wild take to me, but I mean, uh, okay. I think I don't know. Maybe the Red Skull should have been a three point six. I guess just slightly better. I just, uh, you're hurting me now. I'm like reconsidering what I did. But you know what? No, yeah. no, no. He's. I think he's better than a lot of the other ones I saw. He's better than Justin Hammer. He's better than Vanko. He's better than Blonsky. He's better than Ross. He's better than Stain. Uh, so you know what? I'm okay with this rating. Uh, yeah, but I think like. Red Skull is just iconic, man. He's, he is too. He is, and like you know, like um, the uh, uh, Tesseract Cube to the head. I'd probably choose Red Skull as a better villain over Killian at the end of the day. <laughs> but uh-huh. um, all right, so you give him a three point five. I give him a two. Audiences between us, uh, two point eight. So Aldrich Killian is uh, ba- is just on the other side of the villain rankings. There's ten villains on the board right now. Um, we have two that land on the board here because we're putting Trevor the Mandarin uh, as a villain on here. And Kevin, like you and I had a phone call the other day and I needed you to like talk me off a ledge, basically. I was like, Kevin, I think I'm going to give Trevor a six. Yeah, I that's, I'm gonna that's crazy talk. <laughs> <laughs> I was very close to it. And then I talked myself down to like, all right, I'll give him a five. I'll give him a five. That's fair. I love the twist so much that I'm going to give him a perfect five. Uh, and even just talking that through right now, like I just I I maybe don't have the courage of my convictions today. I'm giving him a four point five, which is still probably high for some people, and for me, doesn't even feel quite as high as I actually want to go. Uh, but I just love the twist so much, and I think it's got replay factor. Like, it's not just, like, the first run. The first run is a very magical experience, especially if you're uh, walking into it cold, like, on opening weekend, and you have no idea what's going on. Um, But it still plays delightfully for me. I love it. I think the Trevor stuff is hysterical. I'm giving him a 4.5 at me about it. Um, So I gave him a 5 even higher than what you did. But there's a simple reason, Josh, because to me... He doesn't even belong on this list. It's crazy that he's on yeah. this list. And in the you think ultimate we should take rankings, him off? uh, no, leave him on there because I think it's going to be amusing. But in the reality of the situation, like, is he a good villain? No, because he's not a villain. I think this just falls under the the thing we talked about with uh, Lofi and you know the yeah, he armor. is though. He's a winning participant in destruction. They they uh, gave him he, they gave him drugs for it, uh, yeah. drugs and diet coke. But no, he's he's a tool. He's a tool of the of the actual villain. Of the movie, he he he's not antag- antagonistic against the actual heroes in such a way. Um, but I do think it's hilarious to have him on here and have him be that high. So I'm fine with keeping him on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we both love the character, but do we love him that much as a villain? I do think is the question. Um, no, he's not a he's he's, he's a nonsense. Villain. Well, then I don't know if this is fair. I don't know if we should just scrub him from the list. Um, I think look we, if we leave like, him on being, here. If we leave him on here right now, he's going to be top three, baby. Because <laughs> it's a 4.5 from me, a 5 from you, a 3.5 from the listeners, which gives us a 4.32, which is actually a fairly significant lead over the Red Skull at 4 <laughs> with a 3.88. Okay, in the interest of actual science, everyone, in the, in the interest of actually rating these things the way we're supposed to, we let's keep Trevor on the him. list. Let's keep Trevor on the list for a week. 
Uh, let's get let's get some feedback. Justice for Trevor. Should Trevor stay or should Trevor go? <laughs> it's gonna uh, break but, a lot of this ranking, but yeah. All but right, right now, Trevor Trevor's number three on the board right now. <laughs> um, Post behind the low I, guys, right? Yes, yes. Behind the low guys, it's two Lokis, then a Trevor. Um, for uh, the post credit scene, I gave the therapy session uh, a four point five. Because uh, I actually think that the bar is like kind of low. Like it's either like you're a remarkable like full six post credit scene, or you've been like kind of like oh that's fun. Uh, and this is like this falls closer to the oh that's fun, but it's also just like really fun to see Ruffalo because you don't really know when you're gonna get your Hulk in other than an Avengers movie, and he was so great right now. And the Science Bros factor was such a big piece of it. It's just like a really fun scene, and it does make you wonder about like the alternate universe where. Shane Black had been able to make this Iron Man movie with Mark Ruffalo as an active ingredient. Could have been fun. I mean, was was that supposed to happen? Because that'd be a no, no. Uh-huh. I don't think so. <laughs> I think it would have been fun. It would have been fun. And yeah, no, I, I give this post credit scene uh, a, a four because um, I do think it's it is fun. I think it's the, to me this was a type of fun that was also better than some of the teases that we've had previously. Because like, te- you don't always have to tease up the next film or, or like get something going. Sometimes this postcard scene can just be an entertaining thing. And I think in the entertainment factor, it very much succeeded. So yeah, I, I feel okay with that, with that four that we gave it to just have this kind of like funny moment between these two characters that we liked so much their interaction coming off of Avengers. Yeah. Um, so I'm a 4.5 year four, uh, 3.5 from the audience. It's a 4.04 uh, for the full score. Uh, about, uh, you know, a point and a half below uh, the number three, which is the shawarma, deservedly <laughs> so. Uh, and a, a, a little more than a half point above the, the Tesseract tease in Thor. So coming in at four, the Iron Man 3 post credit scene. we got to rank our informal stones, Kevin. We've got two to take care of, a Stanley cameo and the final battle cameo. I think it sounds like we're in agreement. Iron Man 3's final battle should be beneath the avengers yeah i mean i i remember number two yeah i remember finishing this film and and thinking this was the best fight scene like final battle scene next to avengers and i don't think that's going to change for a a hot minute good Um, choreography and shane black's just a great action director and i think that that absolutely plays here and i think like it's cool to see all the toys come out like it's fun (laughs) i and i think pound for pound this is ultimately the best series of action film or action scenes Again, next to Avengers, I think Avengers had action scenes equal to this movie, and this movie just really went above and beyond like dope action scenes. And certainly the final battle fulfills that um, better than anything else we've seen next to Avengers. Most of the final battle scenes in these movies are not good, guys. I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I think Iron Man 3, we can easily reach consensus as the second best uh, final battle so far. The Stan Lee cameo. Where do you fall with this? Man, what it was, was so the Stan- weird. I'm, I'm scratching my head again. It's like a bingo flash, basically. No, right? it's not bingo. It's um, it's it's judging a Miss America contest. That's, that gives it, her a that's 10. it. That's it. That's it. Yeah, that's it. uh, it's a really a blink and you miss it. Like the previous Iron Man ones we've seen, it certainly was the best of the Iron Man crowd. It's no Incredible Hulk. That one was really great. I think um, I have it. I have it between Avengers and Captain America because it's like another one of those like blink and you'll miss it. But it's like maybe a little more interesting and sort of like like kind of like old man pervy. That's kind yeah. of like a little bit like uh, like there's some like a little bit of spice to it that I kind of enjoy. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a fair place to put it. It also gets like shadowed because like that's like seconds before Adam Paley comes in and it's just kind of yeah. like ah. 
which was yeah. very exciting to see uh, Adam Adam Pally. Adam Pally? Adam Pally? I have no idea how to pronounce his last name. I don't know name. how to pronounce He's it either. Great. I love him in all the things that he does, so... Um, it was it was really funny to see Agreed. him because I forgot that he was in this movie. Look at us being so agreeable on the podcast. It's this week. weird, Josh. <laughs> I mean, we uh, we tend to we do tend to agree on a lot of things that we both love the MCU, but then there are like a lot of like strong, subtle disagreements along the way. Yes, uh, and like I feel like we're pretty simpatico here. I think you like our biggest disagreement is you like Guy Pearson this more than I do. Yeah, yeah, I do. And but I otherwise, think, I think we both really like the movie, and I think that there's going to be a, a, a chorus of people being like, ah, I thought that they <laughs> would validate that this movie sucks. And like, I, what I'll say is, like, I, I get it if you don't like this one. I, I, th- I, think, I think it is a very specific movie. Uh, and so, like, you're either into it or you're not. And I, and I totally get it if it's just not your flavor. Because it is, I think it's, it's a flavor, this movie. This is, like... This is hazelnut. It's not just original coffee. Like, there's a little bit of a different thing in it. And, like, maybe you don't like your flavored coffee. Maybe you just I don't like, like flavored coffee, but I do like hazelnut liqueur, so. <laughs> but I do like Iron Man 3, so I'm struggling <laughs> with the metaphor. Yeah, uh, I'm butting heads against this one here. There's our disagreement, Josh. There it is, yes. <laughs> Iron Man 3, the hazelnut coffee of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, if, if Put that, that on the, the next case, DVD box. <laughs> then next week we are running into the decaf of the Marvel oh, Cinematic Universe. Thor the Dark World. Consensus pick uh, amongst uh, many people. It's like it's either it's it's a three way horse race to the bottom, right? It's Incredible Hulk, it's Iron Man two, or it's Thor: The Dark World. I think like take your pick. That seems to be what you see the most on these lists of uh, worst MCU movie. Let's uh, we've got two of those under our belt. Let's get the third one. Let's see. Is Thor: The Dark World as I expect it will be the worst of the MCU, or are we in for a surprise? I'm excited to find out. We'll so be recolored I. by Endgame at all, you know? No, but I'm. <laughs> I don't think it'll be. <laughs> no. I don't think it'll okay. be recolored by Endgame. But uh, I, I am excited to see this movie after having not seen it in a very long time. I don't think Robin has ever seen it, so this will be a brand new experience for her, in which she she promised that she will actually fully pay attention to this one, even though it's supposed to be atrocious. I'm excited okay. to see how that works out for her. Um, right. So yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. But at the same time, though, Josh, this is it. This is a hump. Like once, once we're past Thor to Dark World, it's pretty much smooth sailing in terms. Like, there's no movie that's going to be yeah. as bad as these as these films. So, like, hooray! <laughs> like, I'm excited about that fact. Uh, Age of Ultron has like you know, is Age of Ultron like could could you know use like uh some some rehab in some spots. I think, but I think it's better than remembered. So I think like we'll we'll enjoy it. Um, this is probably this is the one that we have like the biggest risk of flatly not enjoying. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. It's too early. <laughs> it's too late in the night to get into a Doctor Strange fight right now. So I'll I'll bite Ooh, my tongue. Yeah. That's going to oh, be interesting. Uh, we'll get there. I love the character. Love the world. I, is the movie I, I anything special? I don't know. Uh, it, we'll see. We'll see. It's got very innovative, brilliant special effects, but is it kind of just like a really supremely boring story with like a very blah cast? Was it? It might be. Special effects, didn't they do the same thing in Inception? I feel like we saw that in Inception. Yeah, you know what? You're trying to defend (laughs) Doctor Strange, and there you go. 
<laughs> You're like, Doctor Strange is even worse than I remember. I don't know. I don't want to go for that I don't want to get into a fight with anyone. We don't have to get our time stones ahead of ourselves here. No, no, no. <laughs> Thor of the Dark World coming next week. The Ether. We'll get another stone on the board. Uh, get your feedback in for that. Super at postshowrecaps.com. You can also tweet at us at postshowrecaps. At Rand Howard. That's me. At Kev Mahadeo. That's Kevin. Subscribe to the podcast if you'd be so kind. Your ratings and reviews greatly, greatly appreciated. Uh, Kevin, anything else? Um, as always, I'm going to plug my website, uh, themahadman.com. Uh, themahadman.com. Yeah, Go. Give it the clicks. Read the stuff. Uh, yeah, please Some new comic uh, work that you uh, published on there recently since last yes, time we talked. Yes, uh, there is a comic uh, that went off exclusive, so it's up on the site right now. And I published, or I put up a, a script to something. The first thing, I put up a script to uh, anthology I'd pitched for. I did not get accepted to, but it's always fun to put up the work that even doesn't get chosen. And I'm working nice. on something... Really fun for the site. Um, I'll say it's it's actually an original script, um, brand new, um, that I'm working on to put up in a series. And I'm excited for and hopeful people check it out. So uh, keep on the site for when those updates come. Awesome. All right. So pay attention to all that. Uh, Kevin will post about it on Twitter at Kev Mahadeo, and it's themahatman.com. And we're post show recaps. And we got Thor of the Dark World coming next week. And that's a bummer. But we also have really fun, exciting stuff coming next week as well we'll talk about that when we can until then everybody take care bye bye